Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The sermon text is from the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Please be seated. I'd like to begin with a quote from Father Alfred Delp. Never have I entered into Advent so vitally and intensely alert as I pace the confines of my cell, three paces one way and three the other. Then the tidings of our Lord's coming to redeem and deliver the world have a different and much more vivid meaning. Father Delp gave these words as part of a meditation while he was in a Nazi concentration camp in Advent of 1944. Father Delp was executed in that camp in February of 1945. That was indeed his final advent on this earth. But these thoughts might capture the emotional state of the man in our gospel reading. He was in a very dark place. He was alone. He may have been feeling down or depressed. And things certainly hadn't started out this way for this man. His coming had been prophesied for hundreds of years. His arrival had been told by an angel to his father. He had been born of geriatric parents and a barren mother. And also, his father had mysteriously, miraculously lost his speech and then gained it during the pregnancy. To say the least, John the Baptist's beginning was very promising. And then his career was outstanding as a prophet. He was called by Jesus the greatest of those born among women. That is high praise. And it makes sense since he had the greatest mission of any Old Testament prophet. That was to prepare the way of the Lord, to point out the Messiah when he comes, as Isaiah said he would. Old Testament prophets have a tradition of being eccentric and blunt. I say eccentric because sometimes God would have his prophets do some strange things to get the point across. Just one example, Isaiah, the author of our Old Testament reading, in Isaiah chapter 20, God told him to walk around in his birthday suit for three years. That's a long time. Apparently, this was a sign against some of Israel's enemies, Ethiopia and Egypt. So John the Baptist, he wasn't a uh, prophetic naturalist, if you will, but he was eccentric. He had camel hair clothing and a steady diet of honey and locusts. Kind of get an image of a combination between Moses and Bear Grylls. But he was very successful, preaching in the wilderness, baptizing by the Jordan. Everyone came to hear about the Messiah from John. And he was blunt as well. He didn't care who came to listen to him. His message was the same. Repent. Be they weak or strong, uh, powerful, or uh, the lowest person in the land. The message was the same. Even when members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews, came to him, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. He warned them that the Messiah's winnowing fork was in his hand, that the axe 
was already at the root of the trees. He said, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He did not care if he offended or not. And get a combination image of Moses and maybe Gordon Ramsay. But he was very faithful in his mission. When Jesus appeared, after some hesitation, John the Baptist lived up to his namesake and baptized Jesus. And when he did, the heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit of God in the form of a dove descended down and remained on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Following that experience, John the Baptist pointed out the Messiah, pointed out Jesus, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Unfortunately for John, his efforts were so successful that all of those crowds that came out to the desert to see him, they started to go to Jesus instead. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist's disciples come and complain to him. They say, hey, John, everyone's going to Jesus. But that didn't bother John. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. John the Baptist understood that the Christian life is not about your best life now. Sorry, Mr. Olstein. It is about decreasing yourself so that you may increase the kingdom of Christ in the world. John understood that. And he still had a mission to do, to preach repentance, to point out the Messiah, and to be blunt. And so he continued. And still, he didn't care whom his audience was, who heard him, whether it was the lowest servant in the land or the reigning tetrarch, the ruler of the land, Herod himself. This meant that when King Herod took his brother's wife to be his own, which is base adultery, John the Baptist did not hesitate to say, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And unlike today, first century Israel did not have freedom of religion. They did not have freedom of speech. Maybe more like some countries we could name today. So that the wrong words could absolutely land you in jail. And so Herod did throw John into jail for telling him he was committing adultery. John the Baptist became John the inmate. Now, the jailing of John gives us a clear image of what the natural, sinful human reaction is to the word of God. For anyone today who may be deceived into thinking that the natural state of humanity is one of benign tolerance of multiple views, look no further than Father Delp. Look no further than John the Baptist. Here with Herod, we see humanity's natural reaction to the word of God when we are told that we are out of alignment with it. We find God's word offensive, and we want to silence it. While John was in prison, he had time to think and think and think. And he started to wonder, wait a minute, where is the winnowing fork that I had heard about? Where is the ax that's at the root of the trees? Where is the baptism by fire? John the Baptist actually began to doubt that Jesus 
was the Messiah. Now, this might shake us a little bit today. Wait, a prophet of God can have doubts about God? Well, absolutely they can. Prophets are only human, just as much as you are, just as pastors are also only human. Something to bear in mind from our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Pastors are stewards of the mysteries of God. They are servants. They are not God themselves. This means, first of all, that you should absolutely pray for your pastors continuously, wherever they may be. And also, maybe cut them a little slack sometimes. Especially John the Baptist. Let's not come down so hard on John the Baptist. He knew Jesus was the Messiah, but his idea of what the Messiah was, it was insufficient. He was confused about this whole idea that Jesus came to save the world rather than condemn the world. Well, where should Christians turn when they are confused about something, when they are down or feeling alone? They should turn exactly where John the Baptist turns, to the Word of God. Of course, he turns to the Word of God incarnate, sending his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or not? And Jesus recalibrates his whole idea of what the Messiah is. He turns John away from the winnowing fork, the axe, and the fire. And this is not to say that those things won't happen. The day of the Lord will come, and it will be hot, as we heard in Micah chapter 4 from last Sunday. But Jesus was pointing out that his first coming was one of reconciliation, not retribution. And so he points John the Baptist to these passages from Isaiah 29, 35, and 61. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Pointing out that all these things were happening. And so he was, absolutely, Jesus was the Messiah. And then he concludes with these words from verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. John the Baptist very well could have been offended by the fact that Jesus came to forgive sinners. But if Jesus had not come down with the mercy of the cross, if he instead came down with judgment and wrath, John the Baptist would have been on the wrong side of that judgment, as much as the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the Romans, and any other sinners, including you and I. No one is righteous in the eyes of God. There is not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is an offensive statement for you. Does it bother us today to really consider this, that our sins are so egregious that the Son of God had to come, suffer, and die for us? If we really consider that, it may bother us somewhat. John the Baptist's response to Jesus is not recorded. The church fathers held that John the Baptist was a faithful follower of Jesus until the day of his death. Sadly, John was executed in prison as sort of a party gift from Herod to one of the guests there. As for Jesus, he continued to preach and do miracles until finally 
the local rulers imprisoned, sentenced, and executed him as well on the cross. Jesus allowed the most offensive thing in the universe to happen, the killing of the Holy One of God. And yet this should not offend, this should not offend us today. The death of Jesus on the cross, it shouldn't offend John. After all, what did John call Jesus initially? The Lamb of God who takes away, who takes away the sins of the world. In sacrificial terms, lambs in the Old Testament did not fare so well. They were slain as a symbol for the removal of guilt. If you feel like John sometimes, if you feel confused in darkness, in need of some comfort, then hear these words. Jesus is the Messiah. He was slain for the forgiveness of all your sins. And now you are cleansed. And not only that, he is the comfort that Isaiah promised. Notice Isaiah didn't say comfort and then move on. He said comfort, comfort, as in the people of God will receive double comfort for what is going on today. For all your pain, all your heartache, all your suffering, all your sins, the Lord will give you twice as much comfort. Said a different way, these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. The death of Jesus for your sins is your comfort today. But there is more comfort to come. Three days after Jesus died, he rose from the dead. And 40 days after that, he ascended into heaven to sit at his Father's right hand. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead. There will be a judgment. And for everyone today who finds the word of God offensive, they will probably find the wrath of God even more offensive when it is revealed on the last day. Everyone who thinks their own good works are enough to withstand the judgment of God, everyone will face, everyone who rejects the forgiveness of Jesus will face all of the wrath that John warned us about 2,000 years ago. The fork, the axe, the fire, all of it. But for you, who are baptized into the Holy Spirit. The heavens have opened up, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells now in your heart. You do have faith in Jesus. You are not offended at his forgiveness, but you receive it humbly and gladly. You eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, hidden in with and under the bread and wine of this altar. For you, on that judgment day, it will not be a fearful event. He will take you in his arms as a shepherd takes his lambs. He will lead you gently. No longer will you hurt. No longer will you sit in darkness. Isaiah even talks about the mountains being brought low and the valleys lifted up. And most commentators will take this passage to be referring to how nothing will stand in the way of the salvation of God. But I think we could look at this another way as well. If you consider Genesis chapter 6, 
how water was over the whole earth as part of a flood from God as wrath for the sin of man, sin of men and women, really. If you've ever seen flood, floods on a small scale or a mudslide, it can redecorate a landscape in a hurry. So I think it's at least logical to say that some of the mountains and valleys that we see today were shaped by the flood. In other words, shaped by the wrath of God against sin. And so removing these mountains and valleys, in a way it's removing all traces of the wrath of God. It's restoring earth back to pre-flood, back to the Eden, back to paradise where God's dwelling and humanity's dwelling is the same place, where heaven and earth is the same place. This is what Jesus will do on the last day. And in this heaven on earth, you will walk, you will have peace, you will have comfort. Until then, dear Christians, you are called to bring comfort to others. Today is the commemoration of St. Lucia. St. Lucia, her story was that during a time of great Christian persecution, she came from a wealthy family, and rather than have her dowry be used so that she could marry into another wealthy family, she gave her dowry to feed persecuted Christians. And the legend is that while Christians were hiding in the catacombs in the darkness, she would wear candles on her head so she could carry more food to, to feed these persecuted Christians. Whether that part is true or not, who knows? But it is a matter of historical record that she was killed for her faith as well. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, this Advent, as you look forward to the birth of Christ, as you look forward to his return, do not be offended. Be comforted. Do not be offended that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Be comforted that he came to save you. Do not be offended that he uses humble, sinful pastors to preach the word of God. Be comforted that he sends pastors to preach to you. Do not be offended that he sends Christians into the world to suffer and sometimes die for their faith. Instead, be comforted and thankful for the Father uh, Delps, the John the Baptist, and the St. Lucias of the world. Finally, do not be offended that Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead, but be comforted that when he returns, he will take you from this prison of sin and death and darkness, and he will take you to live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.